So Ian McKenzie promised you a regular property market update and he certainly hasn't disappointed because Anthony Codling has agreed to make this a regular slot on the Homestretch podcast. There was great success with his first episode back in June and he offered lots of market predictions as well as explaining what the correlation or actually seemingly no correlation meant for house prices. So Anthony, thank you for returning today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Ian, we had great feedback, didn't we, from the industry on Anthony's last episode. Um, and some of our members actually said that they use that episode and refer to that data on the podcast as their kind of financial update, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, some Guild members now that are waiting uh, for this delivery, Anthony, so please don't disappoint, um, to, actually, to actually send out to their customers to really give insight to the wider marketplace about what's happening in the world of finance and property market because it's pretty transitional at the moment isn't it or potentially transitional yeah there's there's a lot of moving parts at the moment um and yeah some some moving up some moving down um yeah which i'm sure we'll, sure we'll get into so yeah fascinating time as ever for the uk housing market indeed we were going to hold this uh, this podcast last week but we decided to hold off because of the bank of england's announcement with regards to interest rates um, and disappointingly, they didn't disappoint. Yeah, so we saw the, the biggest rise in bank rates uh, since uh, 1995, so the biggest rise in 27 years of so what they call 50 basis points, which means half of a percentage point. So you can get confused by talking about percentage changes when it's um, going from 1.25 to 1.75, that kind of 0.5, they call 50 basis points. So they haven't done a 50 basis point rise uh, for 27 years. I think what they did really helpfully is they they flagged it quite a lot in speeches leading up uh, to the the MPC meeting and decision. And so, although it's the big rise for the kind of market commentators, it wasn't a big surprise because it had been so well flagged in advance that it could be it could be that level. So the market reacted quite well in terms of you know there was no shock and horror because it had been flagged a signposted. And it followed America, didn't it? America put the rates up. Yeah, it, it's a, we're seeing rates go up across all the um, kind of developed and Western uh, economies. Yeah. OK, so that's, in one sense, that's sort of reassuring that it isn't just the UK, that it is a global situation. Um, I, the question that I have is why are interest rates going up? But before you answer that, I would like to just see um, if you can remember. Do you remember why they were why they were going up in 1995? And is there any correlation between the two? So the, the reason they went up in 95 was because the, the Bank of England at the time was worried about the dollar pound exchange rate and they're worried about it, the pounds going below one dollar, which, you know, it's a psychological figure. It doesn't really mean anything, but that, that was where, where the bank was. And so the idea of putting interest rates up then was if you, if you put interest rates up, you should get flows of money coming in because you can earn more money, more interest on, on sterling. So it was it was kind of trying to manage the exchange rate this time, uh, sorry, in 1995, whereas this time they're trying to use monetary policy, as they call it, um, to as a tool to control inflation. And essentially by putting up the price of borrowing, what they're hoping is that they'll reduce the level of borrowing. So trying to take some of the heat out of the out of the housing market, essentially. And I mean, not just the housing market, but some of the heat out of the economy by making it more expensive to, to borrow money, therefore reducing the demand for more money. So it's quite interesting. So the first point, um, I was 
contacted by a friend of mine that was in America who goes to France quite a lot skiing. Mm-hmm. And he actually said that whilst he was away that the pounds to euro exchange rate was higher than the pounds to the dollar exchange rate. It was yep. about 119 or so 118 or something per dollar and 119 for the mm-hmm. euro, something, something like that. So it just goes to show how little has changed in 27 years, really, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the uh, I guess the point that you're making is that they're using um, interest rates to stop people borrowing more money because they're worried about inflation being a long term problem. Um, that's got a pretty tight, tight rope that they're walking across, isn't it? Because if you get it wrong with the cost of living, then it could be quite challenging. It's, it's really tricky because we've been at um, 0.5% since 2009. So during the credit crunch, we had a huge drop in mortgage rates in a really short space, or sorry, bank rate in a really short space of time. And so we've been, you know, for years, we were at 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5. And I, I don't know about you, Ian, but, you know, an old man like me, my first mortgage was at 6.79, you know. And so the mortgage rates today are still, you know, still half of what they were um, when I was a first-time buyer. And then, of course, during COVID, we went down to 0.1%, which is you know, the lowest bank rate on in history. And there's an element of where do you go from there? Because once you're so low, you're kind of losing. You know, the lever can only go one way. Whereas when bank rates are three, four, five percent, obviously bank rate can go either way. So I think there was an element of it. They need to give themselves a bit of wiggle room um, again, as well as that controlling inflation, which is their absolute priority. You are showing your age in that you're younger than me, because when I first bought it, the base rate was 15.4. And I got a one and a half percent discount. <laughs> Could you explain, um, please, to the listeners what the base rate currently is? What is the what is the strategy that that why are they delivering this? So I go just go over that again. So I got it, but just mm. to make sure that everybody did. So, so the bank, the bank, so it's called bank rates. The bank rate is the the underlying interest rate that the Bank of England charges um, people to to lend money. And, and the key thing to take away from the bank rate is it's the underlying interest rate that impacts all other interest rates. So everyone else's interest rate, especially if it's a floating rate, will use the bank rate as a reference point. So it essentially sets the underlying cost of borrowing money. And so as that. So that, that isn't necessarily the rate that you would pay for your mortgage on a two, three or five year fix, is it? Isn't Correct. Necessarily? Correct. So it's all, one way to think about it. And it's not 100 percent you know, accurate. But one way to think about it is it's it's the, the input cost to the banks. So if a bank wants to borrow money to lend to you, they're not going to get it for less than the less than um, bank rate. And what they, what they actually do is they'll they it's the swap rates that are interesting, which the, the key thing about swap rates though is, is they are all effectively linked to bank rates. So bank rates the key one. So if bank rates going up, it's going to cost the bank or the more um, building society more to lend you money. And funnily enough, if it costs them more, they will then put the the interest rates up that they charge you. And so you've got floating rates and fixed rates, as you know. And floating rates typically move exactly in line on the way up. So you'll, I'm, I'm sure you'll see pretty much every lender putting their floating rates up by um, the, the 0.5%, so the 50 basis points. Definitely their bank rate trackers will be going up um, straight away by, by 50 basis points. And then I think they'll also put their standard variable rates up um, probably in September by the, the 50 basis points. So I think they'll pass all of that on uh, to, the, to the borrower. Obviously, if you've got a fixed rate mortgage, which just over 80% of people have got fixed rate mortgages at the moment, you'll see no change immediately. 
But when you come to remortgage, uh, you will be paying a higher rate than you would have thought you would be have been before that before the bank rate increase. Um, and so, what is that doing with the housing market? Well, they're hoping they're hoping it's going to take some of the heat out of the housing market. And so, essentially, essentially, if your if your mortgage costs more money, so you so say I want to buy a house this week. Um, now the mortgage rates have, have gone up, I will be able to borrow less because they'll base it on the affordability and how much how much I, I can pay on my mortgage. So that sh- they're hoping will slow down the growth in house prices because people have got less money that they can that they can borrow. I don't think it'll have a huge, huge impact because most people come up against what they call the flow limits, which is a, a lender doesn't really lend more than four and a half times your income and that that tends to hit more than the baseline affordability in in my view so take your salary multiply it by four and a half times you'll be lucky if a a bank will lend you more more than that essentially and And as you know from my favorite graph Ian, you know bank rate and housing transactions are very uncorrelated so you know, if people need to move, they tend to move, and the the, the interest rate or the mortgage rate they're charged generally uh, determines the size or expense of house. So they might just buy a slightly smaller house, they might just buy a house in a slightly less expensive area, but the chances are they'll still move. So one of the things we do need to do, Anthony, uh, and I'm sure you'll understand this, is we do need to hold your feet to the flame in terms <laughs> of the predictions that you've made the previous quarter. Yeah. Um, and in the previous quarter, you uh, predicted that by the end of the year, that the base rate will be at 2%. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you thought that by mid-summer next year, that the base rate will be at 25 Yeah. So, so you're still within the parameters of, ex- of success at the moment. But, where do, but what's the data showing you as to where we're going to go with this? So the data is showing that the, the Bank of England, so the Governor of the Bank of England now thinks that uh, bank rate will peak around 3% in March 2023. And if we look at the, the forward rates and the swap rates, they're saying around 2.7, 2.75 at the moment. So as to where they as to where the market thinks uh, bank rates gonna gonna peak. But I think you know if, if the Bank of England's Bank of England governor says 3%, I think it's wise to say, okay, that's probably the, the peak of where they're going. Uh, caveat emptor you know anything else happening with the with the economy and and they are factoring in um a, a recession the whole way through 2023 with that with that forecast so um it's difficult it's difficult at this stage to think it's going to get much higher than that which looking through the context of history is still very low compared to your 15 percent it is, but, it, but of course, all, it, that's always linked to affordability. So you quite rightly say that if the interest rates are up, then the amount that people can borrow goes down because because it's currently based upon um, affordability. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so at a time uh, where we're looking at affordability, the, the lenders will be factoring into that, of course, cost of living rises, etc. So that's the for me, having I've been through two or three recessions in my time, and this one feels a little bit different. It's certainly nowhere near as bad as the, the crash in 2007. It's nowhere near as bad as the crash in 1997 or 98. I can't remember mm-hmm. where, when it was, when um, there were top-ups. You could, you could borrow 125% loan-to-value, I seem to remember some people taking back in those days, which is just ridiculous. Yep. So it seems very different and, and better than those, but almost slightly worse than others that we had in that the cost of living is quite so high, isn't it? Yeah, so, I- 
what are the variables around that that might actually have cause a, a worsening position? So one, one of the interesting things there is that the, the affordability tests have been loosened, shall we say. So the Bank of England, so when they did the, the mortgage market review back in 2014, they said, okay, we're doing a stress test where you get your mortgage and we stress test. We say, okay, can you afford it if it's three 300 basis points above your lender's standard variable rate. So if the standard variable rate was 4%, they would say, can you still afford that mortgage if it's at 7%? Which was, a, in some senses, it was a sensible test because obviously we got in a lot of trouble 2009, 10 um, with, you know, it's why they had to reform the, the, the way we, we were lent uh, money to people because people had overstretched themselves. However, you know, if your rate's currently two, two and a half, to say, can you afford it at seven is a big leap. Because they say, well, that is, is it unlikely? It's unlikely to leap by by that much. So the, the Bank of England's um, relaxed that rule because it said it caught so few people actually that it, it probably wasn't it probably wasn't worth worth having. Now there still are stress tests and there still are affordability tests, but the the main the key one the Bank of England focuses on now and has done always to be fair is what they call the debt service ratio, which is comes back to that four and a half times uh, your salary so they're saying if your mortgage payments are 40 percent or more of your of your wages and not even take home of your gross wages so if you're you know a thousand pound a month wages and your mortgage payments more than 400 pounds they say you are the sort of person who might might fall into financial difficulty should the economy become stressed and so those those kind of affordability tests are still in place so ironically although bank rates going up some of the affordability tests have been relaxed a little bit so some people might find it slightly easier to get a mortgage today than they did um in july okay so that's encouraging yeah no absolutely absolutely okay so that's good so um and we're, we're not offering any any advice we're just talking in general terms about that so if you do need some advice go and speak to an expert absolutely yeah yeah okay yeah. that's really good so, so mortgage approvals where where are they currently at in terms of um, quantity so the latest figures we had was June, uh, which was 63,700. So that was down 3% on May and down 21% on June uh, last year. But June last year was a very interesting month as well, as, <laughs> as, as all the Guild members know. That was the end of the £500,000 stamp duty holiday. And so there was a, well, I need to tell you, this was a massive rush on transactions. I, th I think for me, the interesting point was it's the first time, first dip below the, the long run average we've had um, for a year. So, you know, average is just a number that falls out, but you kind of think, okay, that, that, that's an element we need to look carefully at this going forward because it's dipped below that, that average figure, but, but still, still nice and high, right? 63,000, that's a lot of people getting mortgages approved um, every yeah, every month. So this, this and again, difference to uh, 98 and 2007 is that there's still money in the system, isn't there? There's still lots of borrowing, lots of lenders that need to lend, that want to lend. Uh, absolutely, Mor mortgage availability is is high. I mean, the, the credit crunch, you know, clues, clues in the name, we just saw mortgages disappear over, overnight and you know, mortgage approvals fell. Um, yeah, it's fell off a cliff. You, and effectively, you couldn't get a mortgage um, higher than a 75% LTV. So that, that kind of wiped out an awful, an awful lot of the market. Um, 
obviously closely aligned to mortgage approvals housing transactions and they were at 95,000 um, the latest data for, for June which was 8% lower than May and 54% lower than June um, which is a bigger dip than the mortgage approvals uh, which was uh, which was 21% but in my mind that just shows you how many cash buyers there were mm. you know there's a load of cash buyers just made sure that they got their deals done transactions done before that june thing so it was a huge yeah a, a huge spike um yeah you're you're an economist and i'm an estate agent and my view on um interest rates and property prices etc is that that's the narrative that's the that's the background it's the data and the, the storyline that creates the narrative of advice for the customer Mm -hmm. because you have to a good good agents help um help the the customer sort of navigate the choppy waters or not as the case may be the only thing that i was ever ever worried about and ever fixated on was transactional volume mm -hmm. because as long as a lot of, enough people are moving then we know that there's business to be won and then that i can go and win it um i've always thought of, of 2007 it went down to about and you'll correct me if i'm wrong with this but about 700,000 transactions uh, maybe yeah, yeah, no, they, yeah, yeah, they halved. They basically halved from 1.4 million to about 700,000. Yeah. yeah. So we know, so we know that 700,000 people have to sell a year. That's sort of, for me, that's the that's the litmus test of that's the low bar. Yeah. Um, and then anything over than that is is because of market conditions. What's your um, expected prediction for this year, next year, that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm I'm still I'm still unchanged from the previous podcast, kind of the one point one yeah one 1.1 million transactions uh, for this year 2022 and i think a similar number next year you know i, I know the bank of england's talking about you know, recession the whole year but people people still move people get married people change jobs people have children people need more space and i, I agree with you Ian. it's the it's the aspirational moves that get cut back uh, when when times are tough you know if, if you're if you're worried about your your employment you're not going to do a massive um, big ticket transaction um if you're secure in your job and you need to move and you have a reason to move you you, you typically move but transversely there's people that are living in huge homes that they don't need to can downsize you know if gas, gas and electric bills etc cost of living etc there's uh and there's people that will upsize because of family additions etc so yeah again it's just understanding your marketplace and marketing your the opportunity correctly i guess What's um what have the um house price index shown? So nationwide and Halifax, they've been out recently. They have indeed. They're both out last week. And um yeah, unusual situation. So nationwide said house prices went up and the Halifax said house prices went down, which is Excellent. which is interesting. Um now a, a, few, a few comments on there. So the nationwide went up by 0.1%. So the smallest margin gain it, it could go up by. And the Halifax went down by 0.1%, so the smallest amount. Right? So average house price is around 290. So we're talking about 300 pounds <laughs> either way. So yeah, as, as an economist, I'd say that is very much in the margin of error. You know, if 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 one had gone up, you know, two and 2.1, you know, we'd go, oh, house price is going up. But because you know we're on that bubble of of positive and minus, um, it's I would say it's a rounding error. And we also have to remember what these indices are based on. So nationwide and um halifax two biggest lenders in the country and it's based on their own mortgage books so it's based on the mortgages that they have written and ag agreed in that month so it's on a, yeah, a different sex we don't get mortgages from the same person so yeah i mean i, I think it's in the rounding error 
So before before I ask you about uh, your um, the Twindick Housing Market mm. Index, before I ask about that, I'm just going to ask one killer question, if I may. It's a question that I get asked um, frequently by friends, family, and um, and siblings, and you mm. name it. Um, I'm thinking of buying a house. Is now a good time to do it? What do you think? Well, it's always a good time to buy a house if you need a house, right? And it sounds sounds flippant, but you the market tends to move broadly together right you, you you very rarely will see the price of one and two bed flats going down whilst family homes are going up so w wherever you come in you're locking in um your position your kind of anchor point in in that market so if i mean so i bought you know because I, I meant to know these things right? i i bought in august 2006 so just a year before the absolute peak it doesn't as long as you can pay your mortgage it, it doesn't matter. Right? The key bit is when are you going to crystallize that value in that house? So actually, once you bought it, it really only matters, as long as you can pay your mortgage, it really only matters when you come to sell, what's going on then. And then that's that's when you crystallize your, your gain or loss. And then ironically, if you're trading up and house prices have got lower, you you're winning in a way because the house you want to buy has come down by more relatively in absolute so in absolute terms it's come down more you know a five percent drop if, if all house prices fall five percent and you're moving from a two hundred thousand pound house to a five hundred thousand pound house well you've actually your purchasing power has relatively gone up um it doesn't feel like that i appreciate but you know as an economist you say actually you, you've done better off by by moving in a tougher market than by paying even more than you would have done had house prices not not gone up and you know, we have to remember most people live in a home for more than 10 years. Right? If, you, if you think we've got kind of 28 million homes and we're about a million housing transactions, that's saying 28 years on our, you know, appreciate first time buyers are more likely to move more quickly than, than, than older people. But 12, 13 years, a lot, a lot can happen. And if you think that even if you bought the peak in 2007, you know, you have made money now. And even if you bought at the wrong time um, in in eighty nine, right at the peak in eighty nine, there's there's been no ten year period where you've lost money on housing. It's it's often short sharp shocks. So house prices peaked August seven, they started falling. They started going back up again in March two thousand and nine. Yeah. So so although the credit crunch and the, we had years and years of austerity, the actual period of house price drops was really short. Holly, any questions that you've got? Yeah, I think I want to go back to um, all of the predictions that you made in our June podcast. Obviously, you were um, made some great predictions on the housing market and what's going to happen. But have you got anything that you foresee happening in the next couple of months with obviously the whole new prime minister and things? Is there anything that we should be on the lookout or anything that you see happening? What what What's your inside scoop? <laughs> so so look, looking back at, kind of previous previous cycles and previous uh, times of uncertainty with with prime ministers the house housing market typically just flat lines until it's like okay we're waiting to see what happens you know it it's so just sorry to bruise the egos of the politicians in question but it doesn't really move the needle they kind of wait see what happens and then continue continue moving so you know i think next year we will see and you know, Ian won't like this, I guess, but the the pressure will be on transactions more than house prices, I think, next year. So if we are, again, if we are in a recession and 
if, if recession essentially means the economy uh, generating less money, right? So there's there's less goods and services being produced, and bought and sold. So what the implications are for that mean that people will start to worry or think about their employment security. So we're at a period of unbelievably high and full employment at the moment. You know, as an, as an economist, you kind of think three to four percent unemployment is what we we call the natural rate of employment because it, it captures those people who are between jobs, changing jobs. So we call it frictional rate of unemployment. There's always, you never get 100% employment, otherwise never, no one would ever change jobs. And we're kind of at or just below that. So it's a really unusual situation. So the, again, like bank rate, the only way is up really um, in that. But then you need to think about as, as an agent, well, who are the people who are going to be more at risk? Like, is it the people who are about to move home? Is it the people with equity in their home who are about to trade up? You know, again, probably not, because rightly or wrongly, homeowners and those close to home ownership are genuinely in more secure employment and higher paid employment than than other people. So there's a there's a you know a bias towards the um the economically stronger in the housing market in terms of ownership. But there are agents, me being one of them, and I know the world is a different place now. You know, I get that marketing techniques are different, et cetera, et cetera. But I've navigated through waters of a base rate of 15.4% and three and a half million unemployed. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that good agents will actually always do even better in a, in, a, in a tougher marketplace. You know, I'm a huge, huge believer of that in that in a buoyant marketplace, all you need to do is win the instruction and then you're pretty much guaranteed of getting the fee at the back end of it. In a, in a marketplace that needs more skill, knowledge and excellence, it's actually about delivering the best advice to your mm. customer all the way through the transaction. And so I, I sit, although we might get some headwinds in the market next year on, on transactional volume, as you just said, I actually sit pretty comfortably for the guild members that, that they'll be okay because we're actually the best of the best and we offer the best advice to, to the customer base. Well, and also, if you think, you know, the average house has gone up more than £50,000 since the start of lockdown. Yeah, you know that, that's more than the average wage, right? More than the average full-time wage. So your your house has earned more than most most people. And again, if you think, wow, there's a huge cost of living crisis. Everything's costing more. Oh, I, I could move and kind of crystallize some of that gain and yeah. have an easier, you know, have a better quality of life. Because you say I wouldn't have to be worried. I wouldn't be worrying so much about my household bills all the time. Any any last advice to um to the listeners in terms of? Um, they're running their businesses or advising their clients? I, I think that the, you know, the the underlying housing market is is robust. And I think you're right, Ian, you know, know your know your client, you know, know the situation they're in and play to those, play to those strengths. There's there's always going to be people who want to move and need to move. And in a, a more challenging market, it's just being on top of your your clients, right? And that's yeah, that's why you hire a guild member isn't it because you, you're getting that service that insight so as you say in a, in a tough market it sorts it sorts the, the stronger players from the week yeah i agree so for me if there was one piece of advice it would be knowledge is power so mm -hmm. knowledge about interest rates knowledge about what's happening knowledge about inflation and the direction of travel because if i was selling and i was and i was chatting to an agent that had their finger on the pulse with all of the brilliant information you've given us today anthony it would build trust. I'd actually trust that they were that they had the skill set to offer me the best advice. Mm. So knowledge is power would be my my piece. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good point to end that 
episode. Yep, know your local market, know the housing market and know your client. So let's come back um, next episode, Anthony, and I hope that you can talk to us about the effects that all of these rises and falls have had on the housing market. (laughs) 